0: This
1: is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Broncos are in the make or break part of their season. Joining us to talk about it from the Denver Gazette is Chris Thomason. You can follow him on social at Chris Thomason. That's T O M A S S O N. And of course, On the Denver Gazette. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us. An interesting week for the Broncos. Obviously, they have to win out and get a little bit lucky. They can't worry about the getting lucky part. But I want to start with the idea that defense uh, needs to find a way to bounce back. They give up five touchdown passes to Jared Goff. A lot of them on, in fact, all five of them on routes to cut inward. Kareem Jackson can return now, but at this point seems to not be sure if he's going to be activated at all. I think that P.J. Locke, has taken the starting role. Is this because Jackson is no longer a starter and at his age, not likely to play special teams?
0: Well, that's certainly one consideration. It's going to be, uh, interesting. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's going to be interesting to see if he's activated or not. I had a chance to talk to Kareem today. He said that I just put a story up that he'll be disappointed if he's not activated. So, uh, He's a popular guy in the locker room, so it's kind of a, a little bit of a tenuous issue. You know you know how precious roster spots are in the NFL. Sure. I mean, I think if he's active, P.J. Locke has earned the opportunity to continue starting, and uh, if Kareem Jackson is active and Locke goes through the whole game, he might just be standing there the entire sidelines. But if you don't activate him, I mean, P.J. has been – injury prone. And if he goes out and all of a sudden you've got Turner yell in there, yes. and that is ups and downs. You're thinking, darn, I wish we would activate him. So it's an interesting decision, but Kareem said today, he definitely, you know, will be ready. He called it riding a bike, you know, missing four weeks, give him a day or two and he's uh, rearing to go. So we'll find out if it happens or not.
2: Well, he came off the last suspension against Cleveland and, though he, during that game, earned his second suspension of the year, he did play the entire game, I believe, 100% of the snaps. So it, it's hard for me to believe, uh, especially coming off a poor defensive performance last week, that he wouldn't at least be activated. I mean, he well, might not play 100% the of the snaps.
0: Game, he, he returned from oh, the, I'm the sorry, Minnesota game. Minnesota, Minnesota game. It was the Minnesota
2: game where he... Hit Dobbs and got the, the first, suspension.
0: It was basically his first play back. His but, first you know, play back.
2: Yes, he, yes, but he in did that last game for
0: the entire game, yeah, right.
2: he played every snap. I I, I misspoke. It, it, you're right. It was Minnesota. Right. It was Minnesota. Right. Uh, I I do. Yeah, wanna, and
0: then PJ Locke came in, and you know, right, had a sack in each of his first three games. Yep. So he's yep. been the the better of the two.
2: Speaking of the last three games, as we were during the first hour of our program today. Uh, just to focus in for no particular reason, but he is the quarterback. Russell Wilson from week seven through week 12 completed 71% of his passes, eight touchdowns, no interceptions lost two fumbles, but still had a one Oh nine point five, uh, passer rating that ranked fifth in the NFL during that period. He was 10th in expected points added per drop back during that stretch. Uh, not all pro numbers, but it seemed that the offense was moving along. The Broncos ranked 14th in offensive EPA per play during that win streak compared with number 22 ranking during all the other weeks of the season. But in the last three games, he's turned the ball over five times with four interceptions and one lost fumble. And he has thrown four touchdown passes, completing only 59.3% of his throws, uh, posting only a 76.9 passer rating as opposed to 109.5 during the winning streak. I say all that, but does it even matter this week in a week where 10 points by the Broncos will probably be good enough to win?
0: Huh, could be. No, uh, it definitely was not a good three-game road stretch for Russell Wilson as your stats bear it out and it also should be noted that uh he did some stat padding after they were uh well behind in the Detroit game so the stats you're right about that even be worse you're right about that but uh yeah i mean now uh, is russell wilson's chance i mean everybody's debating is he going to be back next year or not sure. well he's got 3 games to close the season uh 3 games all winnable i mean they'll definitely be Strong favorites in the next two games. We'll have to see how the Raider game shakes out. They'll be strong favorites and the bottom line is they're seven and seven. They're obviously disappointed at losing two of the last three, but if somebody had said when they were one and five you'll be seven and seven after fourteen, they would have taken it in half a second. So this is Russell Wilson's chance now in the last three games to prove he's worthy of coming back next season.
1: Is it also potentially we've talked about you know, we know about the uh, at least perception that there might be some rifts in the relationship between the two. Obviously it doesn't really matter because winning helps both, but Russell Wilson could also be looking at the last three weeks as an audition for his next team.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, uh, Sean Payton, I think he yells at everybody. They just happened to be caught on uh, camera there in that particular moment. You know the the kind of the ridiculous thing is the explanation which on yeah, he's mad at the, yeah yes. where he's mad at the penalty yeah, he probably would have preferred yelling at the referee, but Wilson was the nearest guy, so he just yelled at him mm-hmm. so uh yeah no i I agree uh I was talking to somebody the other day, I mean he's got a thirty seven million dollar due fifth day of the new league year and it would just seem to me it would just seem to me that i mean how much is he going to make in the open market you know if he's a free agent 20 million so right that that's a difference of 17 million if i'm russell wilson i try to work out a team friendly deal moving forward if they want to keep him because if he just is stubborn and says cut me well he's lost 37 million and he gets 20 back that's minus 17 So
2: uh, we'll have to see how it all plays out. Your impressions of the game in Detroit, was it just uh, a matter of being a bad stylistic matchup for Denver, uh, as was the Miami game earlier this year? Miami and Detroit might be the two fastest teams Denver has played this year, and the combined scores of the two games reflect that extreme imbalance. Or rather than being just a slower team, relatively unathletic, was it just a matter of playing a third road game in 13 days and they were just tired?
0: Yeah, I think you got to factor all those things in there. Vance Joseph spoke before the game, his concern with the line speed, and that obviously hampered them. They're playing their third straight road game, and the third one is on a short week. That obviously hampered them. And, you know, the bottom line, though, is Detroit is just better than they are, and they showed it was the other night. And, and and I think the Lions, too, after having uh, stumbled a bit, they uh, were determined. They were coming back in front of their home folks for the first time in a while and coming off a bad loss, and they were utterly focused i mean they've been a bit up and down at times but uh they were the lions team that a lot of people have been raving about this year
1: we're talking with chris thomas of the denver gazette and, and chris as we this offense tries to find a way to consistently score points one of the challenges i think when you look at it we did before you came on is the running game the broncos yards per carry is low russell wilson is their leader in touchdowns uh, he's only a couple yards away from being their second leading rusher and you're talking about a 35 year old quarterback Is there a way to get more consistent performance on the ground, or is this just kind of what the Broncos are at this point when you're looking at these final three games of the season? They're simply not an effective power-running team, which is odd because Sean Payton said specifically that's what they wanted to become.
0: Well, the man's name is Samaji Ryan, and uh, it's just kind of odd. He had that real nice game against Cleveland, and then – Barely carried the ball right. after it. I mean, I mean, we've been wondering about those things all season. You know, Marvin Mims disappearing, et cetera. And I know his knee has been banged up a little. He's missed some practice time. But uh, if it was that bad his knee, they wouldn't have been using him in garbage time against Detroit late right. in the game. And he did he did right. have a few garbage runs. So, uh, you know, Javante Williams. I mean, I don't know if it's kind of catching up. With him, he says his knee's 100%, but he hadn't played for a while, and it's a long season, and uh, he's uh, been in a lull. So, and Jaleel McLaughlin hasn't done a ton. So, Mm -hmm. I don't really understand why T Ryan's not getting more carries, and then maybe also some more passes thrown to him.
2: Uh, We saw early in the game a Jerry Judy sighting the other night, and actually, all told. Uh, His numbers for the game were were decent, but there really was only that one 40-yarder early in the game that uh, stood out. Uh, Again, uh, I'm talking about uh, the deep throws that Wilson has made over the last three weeks. Uh, Both touchdowns that he's thrown on passes that have traveled 15 or more air yards went to Sutton. And the one interception he threw was intended for Sutton. That imbalance seems to persist between Sutton and Judy. I'm wondering if there is anything that, I mean, clearly Sutton is getting double covered. I think we saw a lot of that the other night, Isn't it now or never, I guess, for Jerry Judy? I'm not saying he won't be back next year or anything, but this has been, of all the offensive players, hasn't he been the biggest disappointment this year, at least when yeah, it comes down to pure production?
0: Yeah, it's still kind of uh, mystifying that he hasn't done more this year, especially with Cortland Sutton getting more attention this year and uh every time you know he does have a significant catch you're thinking okay now he's breaking loose right 40 yard against detroit but right. then not much materializes the rest of the game so uh yeah that's uh that's been quite odd there's no uh no doubt about that and i'm sure they're uh you know hoping he uh resurfaces, but obviously he's not going anywhere. He's got a guaranteed 12000000 right. million-plus right. next year, and right. I don't think uh, too many people are going to give up much in a, in a trade. So uh, they're, they're stuck with him, I guess. So we'll see what happens. Nick
1: Benito is the team's leading sacker at seven on the season. Uh, he is still not practicing this week with a knee injury. Jonathan Cooper is second at six and a half. Cooper got back on the practice field in full today, but – the, the pass rush seemed to be absent against Detroit, and, and when you're a little bit concerning, because while they've had luck against mobile quarterbacks during that string in which they won six or seven games, Jared Goff is anything but, and they couldn't get anywhere near him. Uh, is there concern that without Benito, oddly not even a starter, even when healthy, that the pass rush seems to be hampered by that lack of speed?
0: Well, it definitely, um, some them a, a bit. It was a real nice rotation going there with the three outside linebackers. You mentioned Cooper also, uh, Baron Browning and then Benito. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't look like Benito will play this, uh, Sunday, but it's yeah. an MCL. So I would imagine he'll be back to the Chargers game on December 31st. But, uh, yeah, they couldn't, I mean, for three weeks, they had 15 sacks and, uh, It was very impressive. Six of those were by defensive backs, but nobody really was putting much pressure on Golf the other day. So uh, they'll have to come up with another plan. And, uh, you know, Belichick's a heady guy, so uh, the the defensive backs, uh, Blitzy, might not work as well. So we'll just have to see what transpires on Sunday.
2: You mentioned a coaching matchup. These are two guys who know (laughs) – Uh, each other very well uh, down through the years. I I don't remember that they ever worked on the same staff together, but they both worked at different times under Bill Parcells. And um, Peyton in particular uh, seems to uh, be doing his best week after week to emulate Parcells um, uh, as uh, an offensive mastermind, as opposed to Parcells on the defensive side, but certainly in terms of manner Demeanor, uh, probably even a little more edgy than Parcells, who could be charming when he chose to be. I've, if the Peyton has shown charm, I've, I've missed it. Uh, but in terms of this this coaching matchup, it's an interesting situation because uh, Peyton is, if not the most secure coach in the league, among the most secure, and the legendary Bill Belichick is, uh, is operating in an atmosphere, whether he chooses to uh, react to it or not, uh, it, in which everybody assumes he'll be gone at the end of the year. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it creates kind of an odd dynamic for this game, doesn't it? And and especially with the idea that the New England Patriots don't have any star players. It's Bill Belichick. He's the only story around the Patriots right now. And that story is based on whether arguably the greatest coach of all time will walk away with maybe a shove in the back at the end of the season.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, it's kind of interesting. If Bill Belichick was yelling at his quarterback, everybody would probably just shrug and go, huh, that's Bill. So, <laughs> that's but he's another- never really
2: done that. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, he, does it, he did, did it during practice, but he's never really done that during the game. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, Andy Reed quite noticeably refused to even give the appearance of running up the score against Bill Belichick last week. And it would seem that Sean Payton has the same kind of regard for Belichick as Andy Reed does.
0: Well, I'm sure they'd love to be in that situation where they have to think about where they run up the score. And it was interesting that Dan Campbell though, uh, and is super tight with Sean Payton. Yeah. He looked to be running up the score a little he bit in that, didn't that last stop. touchdown. He didn't stop so, trying
2: to score. You're right.
0: Yeah. So, no, it'll be interesting. But uh, I would imagine Sean Payton's not, you know, he often leans on Bill Parcells for advice. But uh, Parcells with his relationship with Belichick as well is probably not dispensing any advice to anybody. Maybe not he, a lot but, this week. Yeah, yeah, he's worried about his horses. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So that's right. Uh, no, it's uh, it's kind of uh, interesting, and uh, I'm I'm actually writing a, a story about it's going to come out in a few days uh, about Bill Belichick when he was a Broncos assistant in 1978. He loves uh, to talk
2: uh, about that. Actually, doesn't he? he, yeah, he really he, enjoys uh, talking he about that. Out that time.
0: on special teams and defense, yeah. and then he yeah. kind of got his big break because the Giants hired him the next year, and he ends up being there for 12 years and becoming, you know, a defensive genius and then going on to head coaching. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Could be Bill Belichick's last uh, appearance in Denver. Wow. Uh, I hadn't thought of that, but
2: you could very well be right, unless he's coaching the Chargers. (laughs) Right, right, exactly.
1: Uh, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, always good to talk to you. You know, have a wonderful uh, week, a wonderful holiday weekend, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about a, a Broncos victory as they try to make a playoff run for the first time since they were winning Super Bowl 50. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Happy holidays to you guys.
1: All right. Thanks, thanks Chris. Chris Thomason. Uh, said give him a follow over at Chris Thomason. That's T O M A S S O N over at the Denver Gazette. Check out the story. He has that story on Kareem Jackson that I asked him about, and he yeah. tells you what's coming up next. So, make sure you give it a peek over in college football. Of course the, uh, the portal is open early signing days upon us, all sorts of stuff are happening. And NIL has essentially turned college football recruiting into free agency. Uh, The Colorado Buffaloes are at the center of it and over in Fort Collins, uh, Jane Orvell has some comments that uh, appear to be inflammatory at the same time. Also seems like he's exactly right, because it's pretty obvious. We'll hear from the coach next on Miley Sports. Sandy Cuff and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The college football world is, of course, uh, an interesting one. Uh, conferences are falling apart. New conferences are being assembled. People don't know where they're playing. Players are transferring. Uh, all sorts of stuff is going on. The, the Buffaloes uh, up in Boulder had a... A Lyman that they thought was coming from Houston. Instead they changed. He's going to Oregon. Jordan Seaton, the top five recruit, uh or pardon me, the top overall recruit. Yeah. When you're talking about Lyman, yeah. five star recruit. Right. Uh still has not signed. He not reportedly signed, still no. uh because there's a lot of, of money floating around, uh-huh. quite frankly, of of universities being able to say we can essentially guarantee you this money in NIL money, where it comes from, uh, you tell me, I don't necessarily know.
2: Now, I don't know how much NIL money is there in Lincoln, but there sure seems to be a lot all of a sudden because uh, Nebraska is supposedly in play, mm-hmm. along with, with Maryland and CU for Seton, and they got the some steals mm-hmm. that uh, involve players who are supposed to go somewhere else, and all of a sudden aren't going to Ohio state anymore. They're going to Nebraska. Really? (laughs) So, uh, Matt rule may be getting some help. Uh, but the thing that is really uh, jumped out at me around here is how well CSU seems to have done. And what was I reading today? 19 commitments. Um, and, they were ranked i believe number 70 by espn mm-hmm. in their top 75 schools on on recruiting ahead of boise state and ahead of san diego state by the way and they got a quarterback uh who come in next year as a freshman i
1: mean like they need one with uh, Fallon Nicolosi had his like whole career in Fallon front of him, Nicolosi, but, yeah.
2: but this guy maybe a guy you groom for a year or two and then you open up the competition and see what happens but they got some wide receiving talent coming in they did very, very well, considering their conference. And to hear and, Norvell
1: talk, you know, I mean, it's not easy to do. The no, landscape with the money no, moving around no. some. Here, here's the problem. It's one of my favorite things we hear at times uh, at the, the NFL calendar, right? here with the legal tampering period, which always cracks me up. Because if, if it was legal, then it's by definition not tampering. Right. And if it's yes. tampering, it can't,
2: it, be, it can't legal. be legal. But right. anyway. Well, that's the word he used, though, yesterday when he was talking. He said the way we build football teams to win is being challenged by the transfer portal and NIL. This is something he said yesterday as the Rams uh, were uh, reacting to the first day of college football's early signing period. And, yeah, that's the right number, 19 commitments apparently. But he went on to say, but something has to be done. If a school tampers with players on somebody else's roster, they should get fined. They should be docked scholarships. Right now, people are breaking the rules and buying their way. I'm not sure that they're breaking rules that don't exist. Right, That's Uh, the thing. They're not breaking rules. rules. Right. Uh, uh, Are they buying their way? You bet they are. But they're buying their way out of it. Look what's happened all over. And I'm just, at that point, I'm reading a quote, and I'm waiting. uh, Is he going to take a shot at CU? But no. Look at Arizona State, says Jay Norville. Uh, Tennessee. Michigan, nobody gets penalized for breaking the rules, so it's very frustrating. And as Sean Keeler points out, uh poaching accusations aside, it has been a pretty good fortnight for the Rams, even with the fallout uh from uh a certain reality show that dropped earlier this month. Uh you know, they 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 have ranked and I always am skeptical of these ranked. Track. sure right but this is the number one recruiting class in Mountain West by 247sports.com I mean I, I, I think I think
1: when you look Not at bad. when you look at what the the Rams did they finished well and of course in look that this is the value and uh I I get it for for some Rams fans, and I don't, I don't see this as a negative I mean I I, I think see it as a positive the attention that Deion Sanders brought to Colorado raised the profile of the state the Buffs and Rams game, despite finishing at at later than 2 a.m. in the East Coast, was the most watched night game in ESPN college football history. These two programs on the national stage And it would not have been
2: were had CSU not been competitive. They were that night.
1: invisible. And CSU, and Latin the year, were invisible. CSU brought their A game, could have and maybe should have won. Regardless, they put on a great show. And obviously, kids who were maybe watching and looking at Colorado, they're also looking at Colorado State and thinking, hey, okay, this is now an option. This is why it's valuable. Because at the peak in, in the 90s and in the early 2000s with these schools, Both of them sort of rose and and fell simultaneously because this game was so important and valuable and visible on a national level. People knew what the Rocky Mountain Showdown was outside of Colorado. It was one of those games you wanted to watch, like a Georgia-Georgia Tech, like a Texas-Oklahoma. You wanted to watch these games, and it helped, and it helped, obviously, again. And up in Boulder, it's interesting because, again, heavy on the transfer portal, 16 players through the transfer yeah, portal yeah. so far. They
2: did well with the transfer portal. Only five high
1: school players. Yeah. Danny Bailey, uh, sporting to CU gear. is. Uh, Danny Bailey can usually be found either in Nuggets or Buffalo's gear, so yes. uh, uh, always good there. But Danny and I were talking prior to the show, and look, at this point, and it's early signing day, I get it, and... If you go look at the the reporting again from the ratings right now, the Buffaloes are 98th in, in the, the 24-7 ratings. But their average commitment uh, level is actually the highest in the Big 12. But that concerns me, and I think it should concern Buffaloes fans, because with the next year, to an extent, I don't think it's going to be gone because I think Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter are both Heisman candidates. But the hype and the excitement surrounding the Buffaloes next year won't be about just Deion Sanders' presence. They will have to win to continue to get the attention. And given the spotlight, given the fact that I think the excitement around the Buffs kind of gave them a pass to the fact that they kind of crash-landed at the end of the year, and you still didn't land more than five high school students, you couldn't impress five more than five 18-year-old kids, that seems almost impossible. So what that tells me is either they're atrocious at recruiting, which I kind of doubt because the transfer portal's been good, or they're not weighing it properly and don't think it's all that important. And that's a concern on two fronts. Because you have to find a way to establish a program that can be built year in and year out. You have to recruit new guys. It can't all be transfers. It won't work. And it does call into question if Sanders is only worried about transfer to win right now and not worried about high school and creating the next wave of players, how long is he really interested in staying at Colorado? And those questions are going to come up more and more if they don't start adding high
2: school prospects. Ari Wasserman of The Athletic had a terrific uh, piece today on what is going on nationally with recruiting and he did make mention of Colorado and here's what he wrote as you mentioned Colorado signed five high school players Wednesday two of whom were big-time targets the receiver Miller number 65 overall and a so-called athlete who's probably going to be a receiver in uh but uh, of course, one of you know, three if, they, if they land Seton, that changes things too, but he's still only one okay. guy. Okay. But th- this is the point here five players. What is Sanders doing in Boulder? I understand that he is going to be heavy in the portal as he tries to create a winner fast. Right. But if you had shown everyone this class a year ago when he took the job, I think most of us would have been mortified. Sanders asked everyone in the media after Colorado beat TCU a simple question, do you believe? Honestly, writes Wasserman, I don't anymore. And he then literally right after writing that says the biggest recruiting win of the cycle is Nebraska flipping the five-star quarterback from Georgia on Monday. Biggest recruiting win in the country this week, um, listen, uh, Nebraska and CU still don't play in the same conference. But Nebraska seems to be on the rise, particularly since CU thrashed Nebraska in week two of the season. And I think you have to have a lot of questions, as you have suggested, about the imbalance between all the stuff they're doing in the portal and how little they're really doing on the recruiting trail. It,
1: it just calls into question the long-term objective. And I get that they are focused on the short-term. And maybe Deion Sanders stepping at this, at this level in which he is still new takes a look at it and says, well, that, I'm not worried about it right now because if we build a winner, then high school kids will come in by the droves. And the truth of the matter is that is probably accurate. Probably accurate. The landscape has changed a little bit with NIL, but I get it. If you build a winning program, the faster you build a winning program, the more it looks like they're on the rise, the more it's going to be compelling to high school prospects. All that is true. There's no question about it, but you can do more than this simultaneously. And the programs that have sustained success do exactly that for the first year. Bringing in most of the players from the transfer portal I think was a one-off that we're not going to see duplicated maybe ever again because of the impact and the fame of the coach. Deion Sanders can never do it again. But this year, it feels like something of a return to a more traditional blend of recruiting and transfer. I know it's modern, so the transfer portal is always going to be a big deal. And 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 the smart schools are, look, Oregon was a contender. They go along the top. They're using the portal, too. It's not as if what what you saw last year was unusual at Boulder. What you're seeing now is free agency and making trades and drafting. You got to use all the tools. And what you're seeing now makes perfect sense that there's the portal being used. But the the programs that have sustained success are also building the next wave of their players. And at this point, it looks to me, from the outside looking in, admittedly, as if the buffs are so concerned about getting immediate help through the transfer portal to get more wins next year and get to a bowl game, that they are not spending the time on the high school
2: kids. Well, that's what Wasserman's written about, too. I highly suspect. Can you you imagine or envision Deion Sanders running around some high school hallway in Georgia,
0: pursuing a player? And I can't. And again,
2: we may, and Wasserman allows for this, and I have to point to the... Physical condition of Deion Sanders that may not allow him to be quite as active right uh, out there in recruiting as some other coaches are. But you see, yeah, but you, Saban, you see, and I understand you Lincoln have Riley's Zoom, had you some problems. FaceTime, li- got Lincoln you can... Riley is all over the place. Nick Saban is all over the place. Kirby Smart is all over the place. Uh, 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 Dabo Sweeney, who doesn't use the portal and doesn't like NIL, right? Doesn't like NIL. At doesn't all. use the portal. it's been pretty clear about that. He's everywhere. Now, I have some reservations about Sweeney. I know he had some good years at Clemson. They uh, seem to have tapered off. But I'm, I'm just saying there has to be. I, I mean, the Sweeney way is all recruiting and no portal. And Dion seems heavily geared to the portal as opposed to recruiting uh, just in terms of volume. Uh, I thought the big story of the week, though, around here had nothing to do with recruiting, nothing to do with the transfer portal. And presumably not very much to do with nil money, although that, I guess, could be a possibility. Tory Horton announced yeah. that he's not turning pro, what? and he'll be coming a back coup. in 2024. What
1: a coup for the Rams! That's uh, that. That might be the quite that frankly was the big story at, of the at, week. I yeah, thought. at least until <laughs> something happens. He's Seton. coming back
2: because they've recruited this great receiver from That's the biggest uh, story. Uh, Southern California. Right? And Jordan a, and a, Ross. A new
1: year in Norvell's air raid system with Fowler and Nicolosi. Uh, we talked about Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders. Torrey Horton might be a dark horse. I, he's not going to get the attention for Heisman simply because of the. the CSU's position.
0: turned
2: but, out quite a few good receivers but in recent years. Balitnikov winner? I'm telling you, he has a shot. Torrey Horton could win
1: the Balitnikov. Yeah, absolutely. I could, could see it. Well, you can win a trip to the biggest football game of the year courtesy of Superbook Sports. Superbook will fly you and a friend to Las Vegas for February's championship game. They'll also give you two tickets to the game and a three-night hotel stay. That's easy. If you win, it's not hard to even sign up. All you have to do, place a $25 same-game parlay between now and January 7th. You're automatically entered to win. You don't have to click anything or do anything. Just place the bet. So wager and win a super trip to Las Vegas courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit SuperBook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tonight, Sandy, here it is, December 21st. The Wobegon Ottawa Senators are coming to town with a new coach, and the Avalanche find themselves in what might be their most important statement game of the year. Are they going to step up? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Ottawa Senators come into town tonight to play the Colorado Avalanche. The Senators, the worst team in the Eastern Conference, 11 and 16, 22 points on the season. Uh, that is the really third worst team in the entire league because the Blackhawks and the Sharks are tied for the worst at 21 the avs have been wobbly at best for a while now and after their last game they lost to chicago uh, both jared bednar who handled it indirectly as is his want mm-hmm. and devon directly at least as directly as you can get
2: both Which in- is not both uh typical from quote, from good Devante. solid
1: questions from our from altitudes yep. and our, our friend Katie Goss, who yep. uh asked both of those and followed up. I really did the great thing when it talks to when you're talking about reporting post-game and she asked the right questions and she got revealing answers. But uh the avalanche are not right, Sandy. And they they right now there's some frustration that's bubbling over. There is the idea, Devontae's brought up the idea that some guys are think they're playing well and they're not. A lot of this has to do, and we've we've talked about it before with In sports, at times in a long season, you have to get your
2: head right. Yes, and I thought Devon Taves, in the two-minute conversation he had after the game uh, the other night, kind of crystallized that he needed to see some of these abs do a checkup from the neck up. And that's what Dr. Rick Perea is all about, especially on Wellness Wednesdays. Which uh, Dr. Perea appears with us. What if you missed it yesterday? Great stuff, great stuff mm. on Sean Payton. Great stuff on Payton yesterday. Absolutely outstanding stuff on uh, Payton, who might need a checkup from the neck up himself. From uh, uh, Dr. Rick Perea, uh, the former psychologist, the world champion Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies, and current world champion Denver Nuggets. Dr. P also helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. So whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look him up at Dr. P at think one, number four uorg That's think dot uorg And I really think that was the point that Taves was trying to make, especially when he said some guys think they're playing well, but they're really they're not. not. And that's a, that's a deal from the neck up. And, I think tonight's game is a game from the neck up because they're better the Ottawa than the senators, senators across the board are arguably the worst team at the present time in the national hockey league with only 11 wins in 27 games.
1: This is one of those games. The abs are back at home. There's obviously some internal struggles. There's obviously some guys not seeing eye to eye. It's not as if the locker room is unhealthy. There's no spats, nothing like that, but, Guys don't see eye to eye. We talked a little bit about some players that, that we, we could see in the way they've played this season where there's inconsistency. One we talked about in previous weeks, Thomas Tatar has already been dealt. Uh, we talked a bit about Bo and Byram ye- uh, yesterday and how he has found himself in a spot where he just doesn't really look like the guy he was. For the avalanche tonight, the idea, and, and I'll, I'll just give you for the purposes of, of getting, getting this here on the money line tonight. Uh, when you're looking at betting from Caesars the abs are minus 175 that's just yeah. a win flat out right for a team with the avalanches caliber compared to a senators team on the road that's not very favored it could be minus it's
2: 225 minus 250 4250 minus, 170 minus. minus
1: 175 which tells you that the people who look at this kind of stuff and they don't build those big billion dollar casinos in vegas by accident can see that stuff is wrong with the avalanche and they're concerned too. This feels like a game, Sandy, that if the Avs don't win this like four to one or something, the situation is going to get worse before it gets better.
2: Yeah. And it's the same story. Uh, Jared Bednar said a, a broken record. Right. Broken record that it takes them a while sometimes to get engaged. And against bad teams, just bury them. Just bury them in the first 10, 15 minutes of the game. Just bury them. And the first line is fine. The first line is giving them peak performance virtually every night. McKinnon centering for Nashushkin and Rantanen. And yet the other three lines were at best unsteady the other night. And the defense pairings are mixed up a little bit with Makar out of the lineup, and obviously Gerard not there, but that's been an absence that uh, they felt for a while, and, and, they, and they've and known and I I been able Malinsky to prepare for. Malinsky's been, been a borderline revelation. I think he has been excellent, uh, but he is playing with Byron, and if anything, Byron's dragging the tandem down, not Malinsky, and uh, they need more from Byram. Uh, frankly, they need not just good periods from Georgiev or Prozvita for that matter, they need good games. And I, I understand the other night uh, they lost 3-2. to two, They outshot Chicago 37-22, but in no fair way could the loss be pinned on Georgiev. Uh, the power play goal, he gave up in the third period, the deciding goal he had, he had no chance on. And he was great in the second period. Neither team scored in the second period. Georgiev had at least as much to do with that as his opposite number did at the other end of the ice between the pipes, but your has got to be better. His save percentage is below 900. It's uh, at best from time to time in recent weeks, creeped a little bit over 900, but then almost immediately the next game, it goes back under 900. He's got to stop more than nine out of every 10 shots. He's not even stopping nine out of every 10 uh, at this point. Uh, And, and they have to get off to better starts. When the Avs get a lead of a goal or two early in a game, they're virtually unbeatable, but too many times it takes them 15 minutes, maybe an entire period, maybe even times a little more than that, to get going, and that's no good. They've had one game this year where they overcame a 3 nothing deficit and won 6-3, and that was in Dallas, and that looks like an outlier to me. And the bottom line is that among the six top teams right now in the Western Conference, the first, second, and third place teams in the Central, and the ABS are third right now, and the top three teams—Vegas, Vancouver, and the Kings—in the Pacific, the ABS have the lowest point percentage of the six, by a lot. Uh, Vegas has the highest percentage at seven and uh, seven twelve. The ABS are at six twenty five at the bottom among those six teams. And you look at the 12 teams that are first, second, third, in each of the four divisions, six of them are red hot right now. And six, including the avalanche are kind of stumbling along. Well, Vegas doesn't have its two top goaltenders. The Avs don't have that excuse. They've missed McCarr for a few games, but, I remember a time when McCarr could miss a lot of games as recently as last year, and the Avs were very, very good without McCarr. Not that they don't miss him, but they found ways to win, even last year with more injuries than they've had this year. More injuries than they've had this year so far. They have to be better, and the opportunity to be better is there. Uh, they've got Ottawa tonight. They've got a home-and-home home with Arizona coming up. They've got a game with St. Louis. The Blues just fired Craig Berube. I keep waiting for that stretch of 10 games where they reel off eight or nine wins, and we have not seen it.
1: Morning Skate today, Jared Benner was asked about the details be- uh, from Devon Taves as well, and, and here's what he said. I think that was a little frustration on Devon's part, but I think he's not wrong. He's not wrong, (laughs) right? We see it. We have to commit to the detail of our system, what's required from the work ethic, competitive standpoint within that system. Some of our decision-making is not where it needs to be, and especially at this time of year, teams are starting to tighten up and get better at what they're doing, and we've taken a step backwards over the last games. We have to fix it. We've had a handful of meetings. We've discussed things, but now it's time for action. That's Bednar today. Excellent. Good news coming Action. on the, on the Gerard front as well. Gerard uh, returns to the Avalanche. Uh, he returned today. That does not mean he's playing, oh, no. because now he is considered, no. basically, it's kind of like an injury. Oh, but, sure. But he's gone through the, the, the program and feels well enough. The Players Assistance Program feels well enough to get back, so Uh, Gerard now will be back with the team. We'll find out when he gets back on the ice. Bednar said specifically, we got updates on the way things were going. They went well. We're excited to have him back. A big part of our team.
2: And sooner we can get him up and ready to join our team, the better off we're going to be. I I wonder who's going to sit though. I I imagine it'll be Caleb Jones. I don't think it should be Malinsky, And I don't even think it really should be Caleb Jones either because he's played well. But He's obviously, well. you got to you got to move somebody out. It's, it's not Manson. It's back. not.
1: It's not Taves for sure. No, no. You know, and I, it, and it's not even Byron. It's not Byron. Yeah, I mean, Malinsky and Jones are the guys that they called up, and it's probably Jones. But it'll be interesting to see how quickly that comes along too. I wouldn't expect it to be. this well, you know what I weekend, do, but
2: especially with McCarr out, I'd play Gerard with Taves, with Taves. and I'd play Byron. Where they, where with they had
1: outsta- with those two pairings when McCarr was out, both had outstanding success. When That's they, why when, when they, they, were so they were so good without McCarr
2: last year. Because right. Taves brought the best out in Girard. Right. Girard was a different player playing with Taves than he had been playing with anybody else, including Byron. And, and obviously Byram's McCarr better is with healthy, Manson. you
1: do not mess up the best defensive pairing in the league. But without McCarr, no,
2: no. Without McCarr it, it
1: does make and, sense. And it was very good. It was very and good. And here,
2: here's the other point. And I'm assuming McCarr is said to be day-to-day but won't play tonight. Uh, but they have said he will not play until he's pain-free.
0: Right. Pain-free. This, this lingering injury. Uh, we
2: we can't have it continue. Uh, the, the pain can't persist. We've got to leave him enough time to fully heal. He'll come back when he is as close to 100% as you can possibly be, and it's certainly pain-free. They're not going to play him at 85 90%. They're just not. It's too early in the season to do that. You want him late, and you want him for the playoffs. Uh, and I'm sorry, it's no excuse. Because he hasn't played, they couldn't beat the Blackhawks? Right. Are you kidding right. me?
1: That's the problem. They have to find a way to get it done. Tonight's a statement game for the Avs, whether they realize it or not. We'll certainly talk about it tomorrow, but it will be a football Friday. The Broncos will be taking on the Patriots in a win or you don't really get to go home because you do have to play the other two last games. But you'd be playing out the string. It's winner. Forget about the playoffs. We'll break it all down. Thanks to all of you for listening, whether it was FMHD, you went to MileHighSports.com, streamed it, in which case, hi, I'm waving at you right now, or the Mile High Sports app, in which you can get all of those things all at once in your pocket and on demand whenever you want them. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth. He's the guy that makes everything work. Sandy Clough on my left, of course, Always terrific to work with Sandy and we'll be back at it tomorrow in just about twenty-two hours. But you don't have to go anywhere because you're already in the right spot. I'm Sean Drotar, this is My Life Sports. Don't
2: know what to-